Amen. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 9, and uh, we're going to be going through uh, the first eight verses of this chapter, and uh, I want to share this with all of you, that Jesus is going to reveal something to us. Jesus is going to reveal something to us about himself, and most importantly, he's revealing it to the Jews, okay? He's revealing the fact that he has the authoritative power to forgive sins. And he, we haven't really talked about that in Matthew as far as in the events that are taking place. As far as all the things that have been taking place. Jesus hasn't come out to say your sins are forgiven. And he's going to do this. And he wants to show the Jews. He wants to show them all. And anyone that reads this. That he has the power to forgive sin. Okay. And as we examine this through the life of the paralytic. There's a gentleman that was paralyzed, that, that had lost his body movements, and they bring him before Jesus. And so as we look at this event, God wants us to talk about three things. And the three things that we're going to talk about today is faith, we're going to talk about forgiveness, and we're going to talk about force. So there are these three topics that the Lord will bring to us through this event that takes place here in chapter 9. And what has led up to chapter 9, I just want to reveal something about Jesus. We want to review the miracles that he's done. And the miracles that he's done is, in chapter 8, is that he healed a leper. Okay, he did something that no one else could do. He did something that was just, you know what, it, it, that no one can do what he did. He, he healed them completely. And this leper, it was amazing with this event because this leper... He comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to heal him, but he tells Jesus, if you are willing. He came to him in faith and Jesus responds back to him that he was willing and so he healed him. And then we met this Roman centurion in chapter 8 and this was also a man of great faith. And, and this man had amazing faith that Jesus even points that out and he reveals it to everyone. He says that, you know what, I haven't seen such great faith in Israel. And the reason for his faith, faith was that he had a role, he had a, a servant. And this servant that he had, he was sick. And so, you know, he comes to Jesus and he tells Jesus, you know what, my servant has been tormented, my servant is sick. Can you come see him? And Jesus immediately responds to him, I'm going to heal him. And so when the servant hears this, I mean the Roman centurion hears this, he tells Jesus, all you have to do is speak a word. And my servant will be healed. And Jesus spoke the word and he was healed at that very moment. And then we were introduced to Peter's mother-in-law. Okay. The apostle Peter. And she was actually. She actually had a deadly fever. And Jesus touched her and healed her. And then we saw. How Jesus had power over nature as he calmed the sea. There was a great storm that came and it came because it was caused by an earthquake. And so he spoke and he calmed the sea, showing us his power over nature. And then we discussed for three weeks, we discussed these two men. These two men that were demon possessed. And they weren't just possessed by a few demons, they were possessed by a legion of demons. And let me remind you what a legion is. A legion is... Six up to six thousand soldiers. So imagine the army of Satan. He had thousands of 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 demons that were assigned, and they were inhabiting and possessing these two men. And so Jesus, he sets them free. He delivers them from the possession of these demons. And now, when we get into chapter nine, Matthew wants to reveal to us that Jesus has authoritative power. In forgiving the sins of man. Imagine that. Let's think about this, right? I want to ask you this question. How many, I mean, for us, how, or I should say, who has the power to forgive sins? You know, you don't have to answer this. I think in your mind, the only one that has the power to forgive the sins of men and women is God Himself. And so this is why we have Matthew giving us this account. This is why Jesus speaks forth and says, you know what? 
that he was going to forgive sin. And so as we see this, right, before we came to know Christ, I want to ask all of you, how many of us here were burdened by our sin? You know, there's many of us that are even here today that are actually burdened by our sin today. And so as we think about this, right, it is, there is a need of forgiveness within us. And this is what Jesus wants to speak to us about today. And we know one thing, this was me before I came to know Christ. I was burdened by my sin. And I remember I had just a, 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 just a you know what, I was just remorseful. I was, I was saddened and sorrowful because of my sin. And I had the Holy Spirit that was working alongside me to convict me of my sin and my need for Jesus. And I finally surrendered myself to Him as John explains what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in John 16, beginning in verse 8 and 9. And so as we get into chapter 9, Jesus is going to speak forgiveness of sins to a paralytic man. And I want you to understand this, that all of the Jews, they found this to be blasphemous. And why did they find this to be blasphemous? Because they knew that the only one that can forgive sin was God. And yet Jesus was speaking forgiveness of sin. So to them, this is blasphemy. How could this man forgive sin? He's not God, right? In their minds, they didn't realize that he was God in the flesh. And the only reason why Matthew wrote his gospel, I want you to know this. Matthew wrote his gospel so that any Jew or any person that ever read the gospel of Matthew would know that Jesus himself was a Messiah, that Jesus himself had power over sin, that Jesus himself had the power of God that was living within him. And he showed this to us in the miracles. That's why he talked about miracles. In the supernatural wonders like calming the sea. And now in the forgiveness of sins. And we know that, or in case you don't know, this paralytic man is not the only person that Jesus said that your sins are forgiven. He, he said this numerous times to others. Again, you know, explain, again, showing us that he had power over sin. I'm going to remind you of a sinful woman in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 38. We had a woman here that, that was just remorseful of her sin. And it goes like this in verse 38. It says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the, head, with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Imagine this girl felt so horrible. She felt so bad that she would, was crying at the feet of Jesus right behind him, right? And with all of her tears, imagine how many tears were coming out of her eyes that she was able to wash the feet of Jesus. And then she began to, uh, to dry his feet with her hair. And she began to kiss his feet, showing that she was truly remorseful, showing that she was truly repentant. And she knew that Jesus, as she heard about him, had the power to forgive sin. And she knew this and she came to him, right? As he went into Simon, the Pharisee's house. And this is what Jesus tells both Simon and this woman in verse 47. He says, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. See, if we ever, if we can come to a place of realizing how sinful we are, this is what Jesus is saying, right? He's, he's explaining to all of us as he speaks now, right? He's saying, if you think that you don't have many sins, then you're not going to love very much. But if you realize and take heed and, and, and realize that within you there is sin, then you're going to truly love God much because you're going to realize the magnitude of His forgiveness. But what's amazing about this event too is, 
He talks about the sins are forgiven as he, we spoke about this woman. Imagine whenever he told any of these people that their sins were forgiven, he knew that it would come very soon that he would be on the cross dying for their sins. Imagine that. Imagine to say your sins are forgiven and, and saying that he knew that soon he would be on the cross dying for their sins. Paying the penalty for their sins. And that's what we celebrate today, right? We celebrate communion. So let's go ahead and read the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 9. And then we'll expound on every verse so that Jesus can speak to us individually as well as a body. Let's read verse 1 says, So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. So you have here the account of, of this paralytic, right? And you have the account of Jesus coming to him, and, or or. He, or the paralytic going to Jesus and Jesus forgiving his sins and not only forgiving his sins, but bringing healing upon him. And so let's look at verse one and let's get the details and and the insight as to what God wants us to know. Verse one says, so he got into a boat, crossed over and came to his own city. Jesus got into a boat and he went to his own city. You know, what is taking place here? Why is he going into a boat? And going over and to his own city. We've been talking about these demon possessed men. He was in the country of the Gergesenes. And these men that were possessed by thousands of demons. There were two men. And so as he, as he delivers these men from these possession. The whole town comes out. Imagine that the whole town comes out. And they don't want Jesus there. They want Jesus out of their town, of their country. They don't want Jesus there at all. You know, as we think about this, right? These men were possessed by all of these demons. And these men, people were afraid of them. People would hear these men screaming and, and cutting themselves. They even tried to chain them up. They put shackles on their arms. And these men were so fierce and so strong that they were able to break the chains off of them. Everybody was afraid of them. And yet when Jesus delivers them, they tell Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you here. I mean, isn't that crazy as we think about this? And so as they told Jesus to leave, that's exactly where we're at now. This is why he gets into the boat and he goes to the other side, to his own city. So let's talk about this city because this city is very important to what we're talking about today. What city did Jesus go into? They say it's his own city. I want you to know this city that, that, is, that we're mentioning here, even though Matthew doesn't give us the, the name of the city, it is the city of Capernaum. Okay, And I'm going to read to you from Matthew 4 to give us this insight as to the city that Jesus used to hang out, that he used to dwell in. It says here in verse 13 of Matthew 4, it says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum which is by the sea, and this is what he crossed, the sea, the Sea of Galilee, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. So we have here, right, we have this city that Jesus was dwelling in. And as he went into the country of the Gergesenes, he came from Capernaum, and as he got into that, and they kicked him out, or they told him to leave, then he went back to Capernaum. But I want to give you this insight about Capernaum. Did you know that Capernaum is actually where the apostle Peter used to live? This is where he had his house. Capernaum was where Peter had his house. And this is that same house that his mother-in-law lived in. And this is when Jesus went into that house. And guess what he did? He healed her 
from this deadly fever that she had. See, Mark chapter 2 verse 1 gives us the additional insight on going into his own city. Because he says when he goes into the city, Mark chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that Jesus was in the house. So Jesus was in the house. He was in Peter's house. He was in the house where, where he was, you know, where, where he used to dwell in, where he used to spend much time in. This is where he would sleep, right? When he wasn't going around or, 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 you know, whatever he was doing, he would spend a lot of time in Peter's house. Okay? And what's amazing about all of this is that this is the same house that they bring the paralytic man. They bring the paralytic man into the house of Peter. And so this is what we're going to read. Let's read in verse 2 and find out what happens. It says in verse 2, Then behold, they brought to him, Jesus, the paralytic, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Okay? There is so much meat in this verse that we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this verse. And so let's go ahead and begin to talk about what we're introduced to. We're introduced to a man with paralysis. He is a man that has palsy. He is a man that is a paralytic. He's paralyzed. We don't know what loss of body movement he had. It doesn't give us details on that. None of the accounts give us the details. But we know that he had lost body movement. The extent, like I mentioned, we don't know. All we know is that he is a paralytic. And it tells us, Matthew tells us, that they brought this paralytic to Jesus. He says, they brought him, right? It says, they brought him. As it goes on in verse 2 at the beginning, it says, then behold, they brought to him. So who is this they? I think this is very important because Jesus talks about their faith, right? He's talking about their faith. So he says that they brought him. So he's, when he talks about they, he's, in, he's talking about these men and this paralytic, their faith. For us to get these details, we go into the other accounts. As we go into the account of Mark, Back to chapter 2, we're going to read this in verse 2. It says there, immediately many gathered. Talking about people that were there at Peter's house. So that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So we have the answer to the they. The they are four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd... They uncovered the roof. Imagine that they begin to uncover the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Okay? So here comes the details from Mark. I don't want to talk yet about the four men. What I want to talk about is really why there were so many people at Peter's house. Imagine this. There are so many crowds at Peter's house. In other words, Peter's house was jammed with people. There were people that were just crowded in there. And the reason they were crowded in there was because of everything I told you that was happening in chapter 8. The miracles that Jesus was doing, the supernatural wonders that Jesus was doing, that everybody wanted to hear Him. And when Jesus spoke, remember this, He spoke with an authority that no one else had. He spoke with such an amazing authority, the Word of God, that people were marveling, that they were amazed at how He spoke. So not only did, they, did he speak with authority, but he also what, did miracles and supernatural wonders. And so people were following Jesus. He became like a celebrity, right? People that were following Jesus. And they find out that he's at Peter's house. And so when they go to, they find out that he's at Peter's house, everybody wants to go. And so they pack out the house that guess what? There's so many people that are there that they can't even get into the house. Imagine they're standing at the door and people want to hear. People want to hear about Jesus, right? I mean, they want to hear from Him. They want to meet Jesus. And so there's people even standing at the door trying to get in. And they can't get in. And we know Jesus, He uses every opportunity to preach the gospel. And so you have these men that they come. And people are stacked up at the door. They know the house is packed out. And they have this paralytic on a bed. And they can't get in. But you know what? These men, they love the paralytic so much, right? Because they're willing to go at great length to bring him before Jesus. 
you know, you can really appreciate the love of these four men, the love that they had for their friend. They knew that this friend, or it could have been a family member, they, they loved him and they knew that he was in great despair. See, he was a paralytic, right? But the paralytic, the, the paralysis isn't really what brought the great despair to him. And we'll talk about this in a few. But he was so saddened, so sorrowful. There was a continent about him that was just, you know what, that was just lifeless. And so they want to bring him before Jesus. They knew that he desperately needed Jesus. And so they're going to go at great lengths to bring him before Jesus. Imagine. It tells us, as we read here in, in Mark, that they were willing to cut open the roof. Okay? I want to talk about these four men because, see, it is their faith and the faith of the paralytic that brings healing. These men truly believe, these four men, think about it this way, these four men truly believed that Jesus could heal him. This is why they're going through great lengths, right? This is why they're willing to open the roof to bring them before Jesus. Think about that, right? I mean, they believe. Otherwise, why are they going to open a roof? Why are they going to try to bring this man to Jesus if they didn't believe that he can heal him? So you can understand and sense now the faith that they had. And so what happens next? You know, as they look and there's crowds and they can't get in, there's no way to get into the house through the front door. So you can imagine what they're saying, right? I'm sure these men are talking to one another and the paralytic is just listening there. They're thinking, what do we do? How do we get them into Jesus? And one of them has a great idea of saying, look at the roof. We have access to the roof. Let's get on the roof. I'm going to tell you, when you are desperate, it will move you to do desperate things, right? It will move you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. And this is the sense that we get here, right? They're going to do desperate things because they're in a desperate situation. I mean, not many of us are going to say, hey, you know what? Let's climb to the roof. Let's open the roof and let's get them, guy. Let's get our friend before Jesus. Unless you loved them and you knew that Jesus could heal them. And this is what we get here. What's amazing about this is that Mark just told us that they opened the roof. But Luke gives us the additional details on this. The same account, he tells us that they began to take off tile by tile. Imagine that they're taking off tile by tile on the roof. How amazing that would have been, right? Because think of it this way. What do you think Peter's doing, right? I mean, as soon as they hear, if we knew somebody was on the roof, what would you be doing? You'd be looking up, right? And if they'd be making all this noise, right? You'd be like, everybody's looking at Peter. This is your house. What's happening up there, right? And to, think, and to think, while this is going on, Jesus is there teaching. Jesus is teaching. And as soon as he knows, as soon as he hears this, I guarantee you that Jesus did one thing. Jesus kept silent after that. Why do I say that Jesus kept silent? Because they weren't listening to him anymore, right? They're paying attention to the roof taken out one by one. And we know one thing that Jesus wanted to know is that he wanted everyone to know there. That he had the, that he can do miracles of healing and that he had the power to forgive. So he allowed them to begin to take roof by roof and nobody decided to go out there because the, none of the accounts say, hey, let's go stop that guy. But in the accounts, what happens is that they just allow this guy to take tile by tile. Imagine this. Imagine the first tile that came off. Everybody's looking up, right? Everybody's like wondering what's going on. And all of a sudden they see somebody's hand, fingers, and they see a tile come off. And they're all wondering, you know, what's going on, right? What's happening up there? And then light comes through. And if it was day, right, you would see the glimmer of light. If it was night, you'd probably see the glimmer of the moon or the stars shining through. And then they're all wondering what's happening. What's going on? And then you see more tile, more tile. We're talking about a bed with a human being on there. So they had to take off enough tiles to let them down. But think of it this way, right? As soon as there's enough tiles to let them down, you see heads that are going over. The men wanted to make sure that they can place them right at the feet of Jesus. So they're all looking and they're all, and everybody's looking up and they see heads go, looking over and, and they're all like, you know, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, the heads back out. 
And then they see a bed, the bottom of the bed coming down slowly, slowly. And let me remind you, there's a house that's packed out with people. And when everyone's standing or, or it's packed out with people, guess what people are doing? They're all like looking over one another when the bed finally lands in front of Jesus. They're all looking over and they're all speaking and whispering to one another, Who is it? Who's there, right? There's a man that can't move. There's a man that lands right before Jesus. And while this is going on, something amazing happens. Something just, you know what, something just so extraordinary, so amazing happens. And Mark and Luke tell us exactly this. Matthew doesn't say this, but Mark and Luke tell us that while everybody is whispering and wondering who this paralytic, who this man is on the bed, Jesus is looking at the heart of the man that brought him down. Jesus is looking at the heart of the paralytic. And this is why Mark and Luke as well as Matthew, as he says here, he says, when Jesus saw their faith, he sees their faith. I want to remind you of something. See, Mark and Luke want to reveal to us, as well as Matthew, that Jesus, that God himself is the only one that can read the heart and the mind of people. There's no one else that can do it. Only God can do it, and this is what we see here. Matthew and all of them want us to know that Jesus can read the heart and the mind of people. Jesus knows this. He can read your heart when you finally came to Him by faith. For those of you that have surrendered your lives to Him, He knew when you did it. At that very moment, all of your sins were forgiven. At that very moment, He came to reside in you. He knew exactly when you surrendered yourself to Him by faith. Because He can see the very heart of man. He can see the very soul of man. He can see your very inner being. And no one else can do that. And this is what we see Jesus doing here. I want to talk about the three points now. We're going to get into these three points. The first one is going to be faith. And we're going to talk about forgiveness. And then we're going to talk about force. So let's talk about faith. As we've been sharing here, right? Jesus saw their faith. It says here in Matthew, Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith that these men had as they brought this paralytic to Jesus. And one of the things that we know is that they had this faith because they were willing to go at great lengths to bring them before Jesus. And as we see this, right, as we see what's happening, they knew that, that Jesus himself, understand this, had the power of God to bring healing upon this man. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought the paralytic to him. And so as we talk about faith, I, I want to give you some points about faith. What is faith, right? Let's talk about this. What is faith? When you look at the Bible, the Bible gives us a definition of faith. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is basically what? The confidence that what we hope for will happen. And then the writer of Hebrews says that it gives us the assurance about the things that we don't see. And so it's having trust and confidence in someone or something that you believe to be true. That's what you have here, right? And, and so that's what faith is. And, and so these men understand this. Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith that they had. And when it comes to faith, understand this, that when it comes to faith, guess what happens? You receive salvation, right? This is how we are saved. The insight about faith is that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. This is why it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we have here, right? We have here, really, the, how we are saved. We are saved by God's grace through faith. And it's nothing that you do. It's nothing, no works that you do. It's no good deeds that you do. It's none of that. 
It has nothing to do with anything that you can ever do. What it has to do with is just believing. It has to do with a choice to believe. That's what it means when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You have made a choice to believe in who He is. It's not a labor. It's not hard work. It's just believing. And the second point that I want to talk about faith is that without faith, you can't please God. Understand this. You and I cannot please God unless we have faith. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, you cannot please God. And not only this, but you know what faith also does? Faith also brings healing. Imagine that. Faith, it also brings healing. Look at what James chapter 5 verse 15 says. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. I don't want anyone to get discouraged here into thinking that, you know what, sometimes I don't have enough faith to be healed. Because see, what happens, even though faith can heal, but it's up to God whether He's going to bring the healing or not, right? So it's really His will, but we know one thing is that faith can bring healing. For us, how many of us want to increase in faith? Show of hands. Most of us do, right? Most of us want our faith to grow. How is it that our faith grows as we're talking about faith? There's two ways that your faith grows. One, by the Word of God, hearing the Word of God. Two, by trials. Let's talk about this, right? When we look at faith coming by hearing the Word of God, look at what it says in Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when you are hearing, like today, as you are hearing the Word of God, it is increasing your faith in God. As we're talking about God and who He is and Jesus as, as God in the flesh, as we hear the words of God, it increases our faith. To know that God can do all these things, to know that God is limitless in power, that He has almighty power, that He can do all things, that increases our faith. So it's important for us not only to hear it, but also for us to read the Word of God, right? So that our faith can grow, so that our faith can increase. The second way is through trials. How many of us like this part of it? Not many of us, right? Is there anybody here that really enjoys it? Show of hands. No. It's a tough one, right? It's a hard one. But look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So know this, the testing of your faith. Your faith will be tested, and when it passes, guess what? You grow. Understand this. I've been through various trials, and the more trials I go through, I become what? Stronger in my faith. I'm a lot stronger in my faith than when I first became a believer. Right? Because when I first became a believer, my faith wasn't that strong. But today, guess what? It's stronger. Why? Because I've gone through trials. And this is why James says, count it all joy because you are becoming what? More like Jesus. You are becoming what? Perfect, lacking nothing, complete. We're not talking about a, you know, a, a, a perfection. We're talking about a completeness, a maturity. This is what he's talking about. As we go back to the story, as we go back to the events that are taking place here, Jesus says that when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. You know what? This paralytic, understand this, when they bring him right, because they landed him right in front of Jesus. And when he lands right in front of Jesus, he doesn't say a word. Imagine that. We don't have any account from Matthew, Mark, or Luke that say that this paralytic said anything. So if he didn't say anything, Jesus immediately looks at him. He, while everybody's whispering, who is that? Who is that? Everyone's talking. Jesus is looking at the faith of the men that are on top. And he looks at the man that's on the bed. And he immediately says this. Son, be of good cheer. Son, be of good cheer. You know what's amazing about this? Is that Jesus sees the heart of this man. He sees the heart of this man, even though he never spoke, even though he didn't tell him, you know what, I want to be healed, even though, or he says, you know what, I ask for your forgiveness. He doesn't have to tell him anything, but Jesus sees right into his heart, right into his soul, and Jesus responds with an amazing term of endearment. 
He says, son. Imagine, son. How many of us, I mean, doesn't it feel good to know that we are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ? Of God in the flesh? See, this is what, what he's telling them here. He's saying here, son. And immediately he says, be of good cheer. I want you to know this. We get the insight as to what is going on here by him saying, be of good cheer. He is telling us to cheer up. Why? Because Jesus looked right into his heart, looked right into his soul, and knew that he was depressed. He knew that he was sorrowful. He knew that he was in a place where, you know what, where, where things weren't looking up. He was lifeless, not because of his paralysis, but because of something else. And let's, let me share this with you. See, this man is like many other believers before they come to know Christ. We are at a place where we are just so saddened by our sin. We are just in a place that we know that we sinned against God and we want the forgiveness of God. This is where I was. I want to share this with you. Before I came to Christianity, before I went to Calvary Chapel there in Montebello, I went to another church. I went to a religious church. And I went there because I was so, I was so saddened with my sin. But yet, I want to share this with you. It wasn't true repentance. Even though I went in there and said, God, I ask you for forgiveness. I didn't truly repent because after I left that place, I was still doing what I used to do. See, just because we confess our sins doesn't mean that it's true repentance. True repentance means that you will not walk in that sin anymore. That you're going to turn your back on that sin and you're going to follow after Christ. And yet, you know what? When I did this, believe me, when I first went into a religious church, I didn't have a relationship. I didn't know who Jesus Christ was. Even though I confessed, yet I never, I didn't walk away from it. I still continued in it. See, this scripture that I'm going to give you speaks of everything that I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. It says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world. How many people are committing suicide today? Because of their sin. Because they're so tired of it, right? Because of of what life has dished out that has been caused by their sin. And so what do they do? They commit suicide. They have no hope. And so all this happens, right? But for us, there's a godly sorrow. For those that are sorrowful in committing a sin against God, understand this. This produces repentance, not confession. It produces repentance. Where you're going to finally say, you know what, that Lord, I am sorry and I am so sorry that I'm not going to return to that vomit that I came from. This is what leads to salvation. When you are finally tired of your sins, just like that sinful woman, right? We don't know exactly what she did. We, it's all, everyone believes that she was a prostitute, whatever the case was, selling her body, but she kept doing it and doing it, even though she was saddened by it, even though it was destroying her, but she finally came to a place of saying, I want it no more. And I want you, God. I want you in my life. And I'm not going to go back to that and I ask you for your forgiveness. This was me when I finally went to Calvary Chapel. When I finally say, you know what? I don't want that anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of the mess up that I've done. And see, as we see this, right? Understand this, that Jesus was able to see into the heart of this man. He tells him, be a good cheer. And this is what he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. See, he knew that this man was so sorrowful because of his sin, not because of his paralysis. This is why he was without life. This is why his friends loved him. They knew who he was before, but something about him. There was no more life in him. And what happened here, and I want you to know what was going on at this time. Everyone believed at this time that your ailments, your diseases, your sicknesses were caused because of your sin. And this man, he knew his sin. Whether it was that that caused it or not, only God knows. But one thing that we do know is that he wasn't sorry about his paralysis. He was sorry about his sin. And this is why Jesus told him, be of good cheer. You come to me in repentance, in a sorrowful heart, with a sorrowful heart, with remorse. That guess what? Your sins are forgiven you. 
You know, this is so amazing. Let's talk about forgiveness. This is the second point we wanted to talk about. The only way for you to receive the forgiveness of sins is by faith. This paralytic believed Jesus in who he was. He believed that, you know what, he contains power that only God has. He contains power that only, that only God can release. And because I've heard that he claims to be God, I believe that he is. And this man, as his eyes were face to face with God, imagine. Imagine seeing the eyes of God. Imagine this paralytic, right? He can't move. And he's right before Jesus and he's looking at the face of God. How amazing that would have been. And as he sees the face of God, he believes who, is it, who he is. Because he, Jesus is reading his heart. Jesus knows his inner soul. And he tells them, your sins are forgiven. I want to know this. How many people are in the church today? Just like this paralytic. Burdened with sin. See, even today, even in this place, I want you to know that there are people in this church now that are burdened with sin. They are burdened with their behavior. They are burdened with how they behave, how they act, the things that they do. And understand this about sin, is that sin weighs you down, is that sin will condemn you and it has every right to do it. Sin has every right to condemn you, sin has every right to weigh you down. Look at what Jesus talks about in Romans, as we're going to be in Romans for a second. In Romans chapter 5 verse 17 and 18 it says this, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one. So because of Adam... Because of his sin, guess what? We are all born sinners. That's what it says. Death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ and because of your faith, by, because, because of his grace, you and I now receive what? Receive eternal life. We receive salvation. It goes on to say, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through the one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Because of this man's offense, because of Adam, and we would have all done the same thing, because of Adam, when sin entered the world, it brought condemnation to all. Everyone is condemned apart from Jesus. And when Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, it says there that we were justified. As we go down to Romans 5.20, it says, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Imagine that. In this world, how many of us, and you don't need to raise your hand on this one because I know every single one of us, how many of us know today that there's sin running, going rampant in this world? It is just so in your face today, right? Sin is just all over. It's just not in, you know what, before, you know what, you, you could say, well, there's certain areas that doesn't have as much sin like in our place like many years ago, right? You know, when the founding fathers came, sin wasn't so crazy as it is today. Sin is just everywhere, right? But understand this, it is all over the world, but God tells us that His grace will cover it all. Imagine, grace, the grace of God. As we jump down to verse 23, it says there in Romans 5, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And when we jump to Romans 7, verse 24, it says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and don't forget this, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So grace, eternal life, deliverance, and no condemnation comes to us because our sins were forgiven. Amen? It all comes to us with the forgiveness of sin. And what's amazing about this forgiveness is understand this, is that Jesus Christ, God Himself, He chooses not to, forg 
not to remember our sins. Isn't this what's amazing about God? Is that He chooses not to remember our sins. This is what's so amazing about God because God knows everything, right? He knows when we sin, but yet after we, our sins are forgiven, He chooses not to remember them no more. That's so amazing about God. Look at what it says in Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgression from us. Micah seven nineteen, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our inequities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. So what He does is He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. And not only this, but He throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Amen? This is what He does. And when you come to know Jesus, understand this. The burden of your sin is lifted. The condemnation of your sin is lifted. See, when I finally surrendered my life to Jesus, I don't know about you, but I felt a weight coming off of my shoulders. When I finally said, you know what, Jesus? Yes. You know what? I am surrendering my life to you. You know what? I'm coming to you by faith. I truly felt Weights coming off of me. You know why this is a case? Because forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiveness brings freedom. See, you are no longer under the bondage of condemnation. For the wages of sin, for the wage of sin, which is death, no longer has dominion over you. You know, as we look at this, right, as we move on let's move on to verse 3 it says and at once some of the scribes said within themselves this man blasphemes but Jesus knowing their thoughts said why do you think evil in your hearts see Matthew wants to make sure that we understand a few points here even though again the scribes did not speak it verbally Matthew tells us that they were thinking within themselves that they were having these thoughts and i want to want you to know this is that again jesus as he read the mind and the heart of the four men as well as the paralytic he's reading the mind and the heart of these scribes and he knows that they say that this man blasphemes again why do i say that that why were they thinking that this man blasphemes because remember the jews knew that the only one that can forgive the sin the sin of man is God Himself. And for Him to say that I am forgiving you, that your sins are forgiving, they were saying, Jesus Christ is speaking blasphemous things here because He can't forgive sin. The only one that can forgive sin is who? It's God. And so as Jesus is saying this, He's making Himself to be God. Because He is, right? He's, he's placed Himself in a position of authority and these people don't want to accept it. And he tells them, he says, your thoughts are evil. You think evil. Anytime we have negative thoughts about Jesus, it's, it's thinking evil against him. Let's read verse 5. It says, for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk? What's awesome about here is that Jesus presents a question for them to answer. Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say arise and walk. I guarantee you this, Jesus would have paused here. We don't have this pause because he's just giving us an account, but Jesus would have given them, would have paused here. He would have stayed silent because he wanted them to answer the question. Is it easier to forgive sin or is it easier to say get up and walk? Look at what verse 6 says. After the pause, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. I love what Jesus did here. See, they couldn't answer the question. Because if they would have answered the question, if they would have chosen one of them, they would have incriminated themselves. 
Because as Jesus, if they would have answered one, then Jesus would have done the other. Or vice versa, right? Whatever it was, Jesus would have done one of these things. Which means that only God could do it and they would have known and admitted to themselves or verbally admitted that only God can do this. And so as we look at this, right? Jesus does something that is amazing here. And he talks about the power. The power that he has on earth to forgive sins as well as to bring healing. You know, as we see this, right, we're going to talk about the third point, which is force. Okay? What is force? We talked about faith, forgiveness, and now force. I want you to know this. Force is a power possessed by a living thing over a person, place, or thing. That's what force is. It has power over things, over people. And one thing about Jesus Christ, I want you to know this, is that He has power over all things. And because He has power over all things, that's what He's saying. Understand this, that I, the Son of Man, have the power to forgive on earth. And then He tells the paralytic, take your bed and go to your house. It's amazing. I want you to know this because, see, only God can do what they did. They were, you know what, they were looking at this amazing event as they see the paralyzed man and Jesus responds that I have power. I have power to forgive and I have power to heal. I want you to get a sense of Jesus' power. I'm going to give you a scripture here from Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 where it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Imagine this, the Almighty. He's saying that, you know what, I'm the beginning, the end. I was always there, and I'm going to be always there through, through it all. I am the one who was, who is, who was, and who is to come. Understand this about Jesus Christ, that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want to reveal His power as we're going to get into communion because His power is like no other. When we look at the power that Jesus had, even in His weakness, He contained great power. Understand this. And you're thinking to yourself, what do I mean by in His weakness? When Jesus was at His weakest point, He was the strongest. To think that, right, at your weakest point, you are even strong, you are even more powerful, you are even more mightier. Only God can do this. And the reason I bring this up is because I want to reveal to you the truth of the cross. At His weakest point, when Jesus Christ is crucified on that cross, at His weakest point, understand this, He became the strongest. Where He rose from the dead where he disarmed principalities and powers, and where he conquered death. At his weakest point, he was the strongest. And this is what he wants to reveal to you and I, that at his, at his weakest point, when we are weak, he will always be strong. It's amazing as we look at this, as we look at the cross, as we look at the power of Jesus. And then, let's finish up as it says in verse 7. And he rose and departed to his house. And now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. You know what he says? Remember, he says, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Imagine this. Imagine the paralytic, right? You are crowded in, the house, in Peter's house. And as soon as he gets up, he gets out of the bed when Jesus tells him to arise. He arose and he departs. So imagine this. As soon as he gets up, what do you think the crowds are doing? They're opening up the aisle for him to go to his house. And when they're looking at him walking, their eyes are fixed on him to see, is this really happening? It says that the multitudes marveled and they glorified God. And why did they glorify God? Because they realized that this man named Jesus, him, he had the power of God. Amen? See, this is what we do, and this is what we see. And See, we are here to worship God. This place is a house of worship. It is here to worship the true and the living God. 
We are here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we even worship Him in His crucifixion at His weakest point. For you and I, it's a time now to make a decision. Are we going to choose Jesus? Or are we not? Do we want to receive everything that Jesus gives us? Or do we not? You know, maybe there's some of you that are still walking in sin. As we think about this, right? Maybe you confessed your sin, but maybe you haven't repented of your sin. Maybe you haven't walked away from your sin. Maybe you're still, you've confessed it, but you're still doing it. God wants to bring forgiveness. God wants to bring freedom. And before we partake of communion, before we take the communion elements, let's make things right with Jesus. So I want everyone's heads to bow. I want everyone's eyes to close. And I'm going to give you now an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. To come to Him by faith, repenting of your sin, asking Him for forgiveness. Truly mean it from your heart because He can see the heart. And if this is you, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Raise your hand so I could see that. Anyone else? Anyone else wants the forgiveness of sin? Everyone else wants, anyone else that wants freedom? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Don't let the enemy keep you in chains. The one you are surrendering to is God Himself. And He came to pay your penalties. That's what we celebrate today, the cross. The fact that He paid your penalty on that cross. And He wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to have condemnation. He doesn't want you to have the burden of sin weighing you down, making you lifeless. If this is any of you, I'm going to give you one more chance to raise your hand. Raise your hand so I can see it. Anyone that hasn't raised your hand, raise it up so I can see it. So the Lord can see it. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, we thank you for those that surrendered their lives to you. I pray now for every single one that raised your hand. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. Just like this paralytic. Just like the sinful woman. I'm sorry. And I truly mean this in my heart. I'm choosing you, Jesus. No longer sin. I don't want to go back to that vomit. I don't want to go back to those things. So as I receive you, I trust in your forgiveness. I come to you asking you for power over sin. And I have it now with you. Holy Spirit, when I am tempted to sin, I pray that you will give me power. Your power to say no. As you convict me, that I would just see the love of Jesus before me. The penalty that He paid. The fact that I have been set free. The fact that the chains are broken. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Jesus Christ, You are now my Lord and my Savior my Master, my Redeemer, my Messiah. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
while the men are going to pass out the uh, communion elements. I've heard it said that a man would climb a mountain just to be with the one he How many times has he broken that promise? It has never been done. I've never climbed the highest mountain, but I've walked the hill of Calvary just to be with you. I do anything. There's no price I would not pay. No, just to be with you, I'd give anything. I would give my life away. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it said that a man would swim the oceans just to be with the one he loves. But all those dreams are an empty motion. It can never be done. Well, I've never swam the deepest ocean. But I've walked upon the raging sea just to be with you. I'd do anything. There's no price I would not pay. No, just to be with you, I'd give anything. I would give my life. That you don't understand the fullness of my love, how I died upon the cross for your sins. And I know that you don't realize how much that I give you, but I promise I would do it all again just to be with you. I've done everything. There's no price I did not pay. No, just to be with you, I gave everything. Yes, I gave my life away. Yes, I gave my life away. Yes, I gave my life away. Yeah, yeah. Just to be with you, or just to be with you, or just to be with you, or just to be with you.
You know, as we just hear the song and the lyrics, and as we just we're thinking about what Jesus has done on the cross for each and every one of us, it was very gruesome, painful. But it was a joy that was set before him, within him. Because he knew that what he did would break all separation between man and God. And as we look at this bread, as you put it towards the light, you can see there the holes and the stripes as a reminder of what Jesus took for each and every one of us. Let us partake. What Jesus said He said that through His blood there is remission of sin. The new covenant was in His blood. Faith is all it takes now. To receive salvation. And this is what his blood brought. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And he was a perfect one to shed his blood for us. And this is what we celebrate today. And with that, let us take. You know, as we uh, finish up our service tonight, today, you know, it's just an amazing time just to remember all that Jesus has done. And let us not forget who we are apart from Jesus. And as His Word has shared through that sinful woman, the one that has understood the magnitude of their sin, the one that knows that he and she has been forgiven much is the one that will love much. Let us come into a place of loving Jesus more than ever before. Let us come to a place of making Jesus Christ a priority in our lives before your spouse, before your children, before your family, before your parents, before your jobs, before anything. And you will experience an abundance of God and His blessings and His supernatural work in your life when He becomes that priority. And so with that, we're going to close and I do want to share this final announcement. Let's for those of you that are going to be attending, that are serving in the ministry in this church, don't forget the, the Christmas fellowship that we're having this evening. And most importantly, for those that came to know Jesus Christ, at the entrance of the church, right behind the door, the wrought iron gates, there's going to be men and women that are there wanting to pray for you, give you a package. And so uh, with that, God bless you all. Mm-hmm.